Today, December 19th, 2023, is the 180th anniversary of the publication of Charles Dickens' A Christmas Carol. So I'm teaming up with a few ghosts of Christmas past to share a special recording from 22 years ago. In terms of the length, this is the shortest version I ever recorded, only 18 and a half minutes of narration. That's right. If I started reading these excerpts at 9 a.m. in Scrooge's office on December 26th, you could hear every word before Bob Cratchit shows up late for work. That joke is maybe too deep a cut for so early in the show, but I'm excited to share this with you. I'll explain a little bit more about how this recording came about in just a minute, but the best part about less storytelling is that there's more time for music by the Westfield Chorale, so let's get into it. Long-time listeners know that I've released two other versions of this story in December's past, one recorded before a live audience in 2017 that runs about 75 minutes total, and one filmed in 2020 that runs about 40 minutes. 
There are links to both those versions on the show page for this episode if you're interested in the longer or medium-length versions. What you'll hear today was mostly recorded in 2001, when I had been performing a Christmas carol in Westfield, New Jersey for a few years. It's very special to me because of the three versions I've mentioned, this is the only one that involves the man who was the Marley to my Scrooge for nearly 20 years, William R. Matthews. Once upon a time, late in the last millennium, Bill and I were colleagues at Westfield High School. He taught music and I taught English. We had a common lunch period and got to be friends. Sometime in the fall of 1998, the year my father died, I told Bill that I was interested in carrying on my dad's tradition of reading the version of A Christmas Carol that he had abridged and read to congregations for years as a Presbyterian pastor. I told Bill I was thinking about reserving the school library one evening and wondered if there were a few of his chorus students who might be interested in singing carols a cappella in between sections of the story. But Bill had a better idea. He knew I was a musician, so he invited me to sing a weekend of Christmas concerts with a group of current students and alumni called the Westfield Chorale at a local church where he was also organist and choir master. Then he would invite them to sing at my Dickens performance where he would lead them from the organ and they would in turn lead the audience for the sing-along carols. If we even drew an audience, I still smile when I think of the leap of faith that Bill took in that moment just because he liked the idea of my keeping the family tradition going. He'd never heard me read this story. I don't think he'd ever even heard me sing before inviting me to join a group so popular I hadn't been able to get tickets to attend their carols in the round concert the previous year. It all came together, however, and we decided to do it again and again for nearly 20 years in the First Baptist Church of Westfield, New Jersey. I promised you lots of music and not lots of talking, so here's the only piece not from the 2001 recording by the Westfield Chorale. It's Bill's arrangement of an old French tune called Noël Nouvelle that he worked up in the late aughts as a prelude for our program. He sent this tape to me last year as he prepared to include the piece in a recital he was about to give at the church he now serves in Delaware. Immediately afterwards, you'll hear the sequence of music and Dickens excerpts included in the 2001 recording by the Westfield Chorale, marking the 15th anniversary of the group.
Once upon a time, of all the good days in the year, on Christmas Eve, old Scrooge sat busy in his counting house. It was cold, bleak, biting weather, foggy withal. A Merry Christmas, Uncle! God save you! cried a cheerful voice. It was the voice of Scrooge's nephew. Bah! said Scrooge. Humbug! Christmas a humbug, Uncle? You don't mean that, I'm sure. I do. Merry Christmas. What right have you to be merry? What reason have you to be merry? You're poor enough. Come then, Uncle. What right have you to be dismal? What reason have you to be morose? You're rich enough. Scrooge, having no better answer ready on the spur of the moment, said, Bah! again, and followed it up with, Humbug. Don't be cross, Uncle. What else can I be when I live in a world of fools as this? Merry Christmas. Out upon a Merry Christmas. What's Christmas to you but a time for paying bills without money, for finding yourself a year older but not an hour richer? If I could work my will, every idiot who goes about with Merry Christmas on his lips should be boiled with his own pudding and buried with a stake of holly through his heart. He should. Uncle. Nephew, keep Christmas in your own way, and let me keep it in mine. Keep it? But you don't keep it. Let me leave it alone, then. Much good may it do you. Much good has it ever done you. There are a great many things, uncle, from which I might have derived good, by which I have not profited, I dare say, Christmas among the rest. But I am sure I have always thought of Christmas as a good time a kind, forgiving, charitable, pleasant time. The only time I know of in the long calendar of the year when men and women open their hearts freely and think of other people as if they really were fellow passengers to the grave and not another race of creatures bound on other journeys. And therefore, uncle, though it has never put a scrap of gold or silver in my pocket, I believe it has done me good and will do me good, and I say, God bless it. The clerk in the corner involuntarily applauded. Becoming immediately sensible of the impropriety, he poked the fire, extinguishing the last frail spark forever.
Darkness is cheap, and Scrooge liked it. But before he shut his heavy door, he walked through his rooms to see that all was right. He locked himself in, double locked himself in, which was not his custom. Humbug. His color changed, though, when without a pause, he saw coming on through the heavy door and passing into the room before his eyes, Marley in his pigtail, usual waistcoat, tights, and boots. The chain he drew was clasped about the middle. It was long and wound about him like a tail, and it was made, for Scrooge observed it closely, of cash boxes, keys, padlocks, ledgers, deeds, and heavy purses made of steel. How now, said Scrooge, caustic and cold as ever. What do you want with me? In life, I was your partner, Jacob Marley. Can you, can you sit down? I can. Do it then. Man of the worldly mind, do you believe in me or not? I, I do. I must. I wear the chain I forged in life. I made it. Link by link and yard by yard. I girded it on of my own free will, and of my own free will I wore it. Is its pattern strange to you? Or would you know the weight and length of the strong coil you bear yourself? It was full, as heavy, and as long as this seven Christmas Eves ago, and you have labored on it since. Jacob! Oh, Jacob Marley, tell me more. Speak comfort to me, Jacob. I have none to give you, Ebenezer Scrooge. But you are always a, man, a good man of business, Jacob. Business. Humanity was my business. The common welfare was my business. Charity, mercy, forbearance, and benevolence were all my business. The dealings of my trade were but a drop of water in the comprehensive ocean of my business. I am here tonight to warn you that you have yet a chance and hope of escaping my fate. A chance and hope of my procuring, Ebenezer. You were always a good friend to me. Thank you. You will be haunted by three spirits. Is, is that the chance and hope you mentioned, Jacob? It is. I, I think I'd rather not. Without their visits, you cannot hope to shun the path I tread. Expect the first tomorrow when the bell tolls one. Couldn't I take them all at once and have it over, Jacob? Expect the second on the next night at the same hour, and the third upon the next, and for your own sake, remember what passed between us. Scrooge looked up, and the specter vanished into a night screaming with phantoms. Many like it, many known to him. He tried to say, hum, but stopped at the first syllable. Being much in need of repose, he went straight to bed without undressing and fell asleep upon the instant.
Ding dong. A quarter past, said Scrooge, counting. Ding dong. Half past. Ding dong. A quarter to it. Ding dong. The hour itself, and nothing else. He spoke before the hour bell sounded, which it now did with a deep, dull, hollow, melancholy one. Light flashed up in the room upon the instant, and the curtains of his bed were drawn, and Scrooge found himself face to face with the unearthly visitor who drew them. Are you the spirit, sir? Whose coming was foretold to me? I am. Who and what are you? I am the ghost of Christmas past. Long past? No, your past. Rise, walk with me. They stopped at a certain warehouse door, and the ghost asked Scrooge if he knew it. Know it? I was apprenticed here. They went in. At the sight of an old gentleman in a Welsh wig, sitting behind such a high desk that if he had been two inches taller, he must have knocked his head against the ceiling, Scrooge cried in great excitement, Why, it's old Fezziwig. Bless his heart, it's Fezziwig alive again. Old Fezziwig laid down his pen and looked up at the clock, which pointed to the hour of seven, and called out in a comfortable, oily, rich, fat, jovial voice, Yo-ho there, Ebenezer! Dick! Scrooge's former self, now grown a young man, came briskly in, accompanied by his fellow apprentice. Dick Wilkins, to be sure. Bless me, yes. There he is. He was very attached to me, was Dick. Poor Dick. Oh, dear, dear. Yo-ho, my boys! No more work tonight. Christmas Eve, Dick! Christmas, Ebenezer, let's have the shutters up before a man can say Jack Robinson. Shutters up. There was no chore they wouldn't have undertaken with old Fezziwig looking on. Every movable was packed off as if it were dismissed from public life forevermore. The floor was swept and watered, the lamps trimmed, fuel heaped on the fire, and the warehouse was as snug and bright a ballroom as you would desire on a winter's night. When the clock struck eleven, the domestic ball broke up. Mr. and Mrs. Fezziwig took their stations, one on either side of the door, and shaking hands with every person individually as he or she went out, wished him or her a Merry Christmas.
I am the ghost of Christmas present. Look upon me. You have never seen the like of me before. Never. The ghost of Christmas present rose. Spirit, conduct me where you will. I went forth last night on compulsion, and I learned a lesson which is working now. Tonight, if you have aught to teach me, let me profit by it. Touch my robe. Scrooge did as he was told and held it fast. The spirit led him straight to Scrooge's Clark's, stopping to bless Bob Cratchit's dwelling with the sprinklings of his torch. What has ever got into your precious father then? said Mrs. Cratchit. And your brother, Tiny Tim, and Martha want his late last Christmas day by half an hour. Here's Martha, mother, said a girl, appearing as she spoke. Here's Martha, mother, cried the two young Cratchits. Hurrah, there's such a goose, Martha. Well, bless your heart alive, my dear, how late you are, said Mrs. Cratchit, kissing her daughter a dozen times and taking off her shawl and bonnet with officious zeal. Sit ye down before the fire, my dear, and have a warm, Lord bless ye. <laughs> no, no, there's father coming, cried the two young Cratchits, who were everywhere at once. Oi, Martha, oi! So Martha hid herself, and in came little Bob, the father, with at least three feet of comforter exclusive of the fringe hanging down before him, and his threadbare clothes darned up and brushed to look seasonable, and Tiny Tim upon his shoulder. Alas for Tiny Tim, he bore a little crutch and had his limbs supported by an iron frame. Why, where's our Martha? cried Bob Cratchit, looking round. Not coming, said Mrs. Cratchit. Not coming, said Bob, with a sudden declension in his high spirits, for he had been Tim's blood horse all the way from church and had come home rampant. Not coming on Christmas Day. Martha did not like to see him disappointed. It were only a joke, so she came out prematurely from behind the closet door and ran into his arms, while the two young Cratchits hustled Tiny Tim and bore him off into the wash house that he might hear the pudding singing in the copper. At last the dishes were set on and grace was said. There never was such a goose. Bob said he didn't believe there ever was such a goose cooked. Its tenderness and flavor, size and cheapness were the themes of universal admiration. A merry Christmas to us all, my dears. God bless us. Which all the family re-echoed. God bless us, everyone, said Tiny Tim, the last of all. He sat very close to his father's side upon his little stool. Bob held his withered little hand in his, as if he loved the child and wished to keep him by his side, dreading that he might be taken from him.
Scrooge looked about him and beheld a solemn phantom, draped and hooded, coming like a mist along the ground towards him. It was shrouded in a deep black garment, which concealed its head, its face, its form, and left nothing of it visible save one outstretched hand. Am I in the presence of the ghost of Christmas yet to come? The spirit answered not, but pointed onward with its hand. The spirit stopped beside one little knot of businessmen. Observing that the hand was pointed to them, Scrooge stopped to listen to their talk. No, said a great fat man with a monstrous chin. I don't know much about it either way. I only know he's dead. When did he die? inquired another. Last night, I believe. But what was the matter with him? asked a third, taking a vast quantity of snuff out of a very large box. I thought he'd never die. God knows, said the first with a yawn. What has he done with the money? asked a red-faced gentleman with a pendulous excrescence on the end of his nose that shook like the gills of a turkey cock. I haven't heard. Left it to his company, perhaps. He hasn't left it to me, that's all I know. <laughs> Ill at ease, Scrooge turned from this scene to the ghost. Spectre, something informs me that our parting moment is at hand. Tell me, what man was that who died? The ghost pointed downward to the grave by which it stood. Scrooge crept towards it, trembling as he went, and following the finger read upon the stone of the neglected grave his own name, Ebenezer Scrooge. No! Spirit! Oh, no! Spirit, I'm not the man I was. I will honor Christmas in my heart and try to keep it all the year. Oh, tell me I may sponge away the writing on this stone. In agony, Scrooge caught the ghostly hand and tightly closed his eyes, only to wake, finding himself clutching his own bedpost. Yes, and the bedpost was his own. The bed was his own. The room was his own. Best and happiest of all the time before him was his own, to make amends in. I don't know what to do. I'm as light as a feather. I'm as happy as an angel, as merry as a schoolboy, as giddy as a drunken man. A merry Christmas to everybody. A happy new year to all the world. It's Christmas Day. I haven't missed it. The spirits have done it all in one night. Well, of course they have. They can do anything they like. <laughs> Scrooge went to church, walked about the streets, patted children on the head, questioned beggars, and found that everything could yield him pleasure. He had never dreamed that any walk, that anything could give him so much happiness. But he was early at the office the next morning. Oh, he was early there. If only he could be there first and catch Bob Cratchit coming late. That was the very thing he had set his heart upon. And he did it. Yes, he did. The clock struck nine, no Bob. A quarter passed, no Bob. Bob was fully 18 minutes and a half behind his time. Scrooge sat with his door wide open that he might see him come in. Hello, growled Scrooge in his accustomed voice, as near as he could feign it. 
What do you mean by coming here at this time of day? I am very sorry, sir. I am behind my time. Now, I'll tell you what, my friend. I'm not going to stand this sort of thing any longer. And therefore, he continued, leaping from his stool and giving Bob such a dig in the waistcoat that he staggered back into the wall. And therefore, I'm about to raise your salary. Bob trembled. He had a momentary idea of knocking Scrooge down, holding him and calling for a straitjacket. A Merry Christmas, Bob. A Merrier Christmas, Bob, my good fellow, than I have given you in many a year. I'll raise your salary and endeavor to assist your struggling family. Make up the fires and buy another coal scuttle before you dot another eye, Bob Cratchit. Scrooge was better than his word. He did it all and infinitely more. And to Tiny Tim, who did not die, he was a second father. He became as good a friend, as good a master, and as good a man as the good old city knew, or any other good old city, town, or borough in the good old world. And it was always said of him that he knew how to keep Christmas well if any man possessed the knowledge. May that be truly said of us, and all of us. And so, as Tiny Tim observed, God bless us, everyone. That's it for this year's Christmas special. My great thanks to the Westfield Corral and to William R. Matthews, who will take us out in one minute with a rollicking God rest ye merry gentlemen, arranged by Myron Roberts and recorded for the Corral's 25th anniversary release in 2011. So stick around for the postlude, although, fun fact, you're also hearing Bill in the mix right now, as you do at the beginning and end of most every episode of Point of Learning, because Schaefer James was savvy enough to invite Mr. Matthews to track Pipe Morgan on both Weight of the World and Villainous Thing. I'm thankful to the late, great Jerry Tyson, who engineered the Westfield Corral recording. Thanks also to Justin Rosin, Michael Rosin, John Brzezowski, and Maureen Francis, who led the music for my final years reading Dickens in Westfield. I'd also like to shout out Robin Lee, whom I first met at a Westfield Chorale rehearsal in 2007 when she had returned to the group after a decade away. 
Two years later, after a Dickens reading, she agreed to get married. Finally, thanks to you for listening, rating, reviewing, sharing, and supporting this show any way you can. Point of Learning is produced by me here in sunny Buffalo, New York. I'm Peter Horn, wishing you a better, brighter 2024. I'll be back at you in the new year with new episodes all about what and how and why we learn. Meanwhile, God rest ye merry, one and all.